I know a bit about your story and what's going on, but not the details, intricate details. Yep. Um, just to set the scene, you know, what, what do you do for a living? Uh, so I'm an air crewman on a rescue helicopter. Uh, I've worked at a couple of different bases around, around Australia. Um, What's an air crewman? What do they do? Uh, so as an air crewman, we operate the hoist for rescue tasks. Uh, previously, I was also a rescue swimmer, so I'd go down the wire to recover people back to the helicopter. Um, that's in the search and rescue role. And then on aeromedical type tasks, we fly in the front left seat, help assisting the pilot with radios and comms and um, ground radios uh, to get us to the scene. Yeah, so you can be utilised, you know, in a medivac scenario to help out, but also if you're doing a rescue with uh, the winch, yeah, why would you winch someone? Uh, so if we're winching, it's uh, an access issue or over water. Obviously, we can't just land in the water. Uh, so anything over water generally turns into a winch if there's someone that needs to be recovered. Uh, sometimes it's either not the person's too injured to move safely and sometimes yep. getting to them isn't possible uh, by ground means so we'll lower a paramedic or a rescue crewman down so to the normally if, if there's another way that's what you'd prefer yeah the um winching is the riskiest thing we do in the in the aircraft so if there's other safer alternatives to get someone out of the situation they're in then that's what we'll do yeah. and then winching is the is the last resort because of that level of risk yeah and um in in my time in this industry there's been a number of mishaps from yeah. winching yeah. even though the training regime is quite heavy isn't it it is yep we train for it all the time quite regularly uh, we practice malfunctions and emergencies as well but it's a dynamic and uncontrolled environment so we can't remove all the risk every time mm. yeah yeah it's a tricky one um, because you're you're kind of drawn by your heartstrings to want to do the do the job and do the rescue as opposed to saying no there's another way we're yes. not coming yep that can be a bit of a challenge on on certain tasks yeah yeah so um before you uh, became a what we'll call a full crewman you were a rescue swimmer what does that mean uh so uh the base i was working at uh, we had paramedics on board the aircraft uh, but they didn't go into the water they do some winching over land but um, in the water we would be responsible for recovering the person off the boat or out of the water, bring them back to the aircraft where the paramedic would then treat them on board the yeah. aircraft. So wh why do you need to go down as well? Uh, the patient often is not in a position, or well, they've never seen the equipment that we use to recover them. Yeah. So we'll fit the, the recovery equipment, whether it be a strop that just goes under the arms, there's a seated position as well, a stretcher, which get them packaged up and ready to go yeah. and then recover them we'd generally recover them with ourselves, so we'd manage them on the way up so that they're not uh, panicking, reaching out and grabbing anything or risking slipping out of the piece of equipment that we're recovering them in. Yeah, right. So the, the, um, the paramedic that you take down the wire, you're kind of directing him? Yes. Because he might not have ever done it before. Yes. Yep. Generally, he probably has, but he might not have done it for a while. Yes. So you're in charge? Yeah, yep. So we'd be in charge of managing the paramedic if we take them with us. Um, over land, the paramedic would gen generally come down the wire with us. We'd treat the patient, assist them with anything that they needed while they were doing the treatment. And then 
we'd manage how we were going to recover the patient, direct the paramedic of what to do. They'd do training. They'd do training at regular intervals, but it also winching isn't their day-to-day work, which mm. it was for us. Okay. So that we'd use we'd supervise them just as an extra set of hands and support for some of the recovery types because there's certain ones where you'd use two people to assist, particularly with a stretcher, so that you're managing the swing and spin that it doesn't uh, it doesn't doesn't get spinning around in the rotor wash like that uh, video that went viral in Nevada a couple of years back. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty frightening yes. to think that that could happen and not many people probably could understand or picture what we're talking about and maybe it will come to light as we're talking further. Yeah. Um, how old are you? Got to think about that. 36. 36. So yeah. you know, when you're in your late 20s, you, were, you actually got involved in a winch rescue. Yes. It didn't go according to plan. Yep, so that was 2009, so I would have, would have been 24, I reckon. Okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so um, we'd, been, we'd been tasked to recover a crewman off a container ship. He'd had a heart attack. Um, depending on where we are in the country, there's times where we'll get the phone call about a task, but this one was pre-booked, so they rang us at about 10 o'clock in the morning said, oh, there's a crewman on a container ship that needs to be recovered, he's ha- had a heart attack. But he was so far from us that it wasn't gonna be until about 3.30 or four o'clock that the ship was in within our helicopter's range to go and get them. Yeah, um, right. They were just on that a remote area of the coast where we were the nearest asset, but it was still a few hours before they were inside of, of our range. So they rang in the morning, gave us the condition of the patient and all the details, the, the uh, GPS position of where where they thought we would be able to meet them given our range once we'd had that discussion. And then we spent a bit of time, we had, we had plenty of time up our sleeves to plan, work out what the what the recovery process was going to be. So and why wouldn't they manage their own patient and just pull into port? Uh, so where they were, uh, there's not a port um, in the far north Queensland where we were, there's there's not a port, there's not a deep port. Uh, so the uh, navigating the reef isn't even done by the ship's captain. They'll put a marine pilot on using a sort of small tugboat. He'll get on, he'll navigate it through the reef and then get on another boat at the other end once he's gone through the reef. So there's nowhere to for that vessel to stop. Mm. Um, often as well, there's time constraints with where the ships need to be at, at certain times, just from commercial pressures as well. Mm. Uh, so by using a helicopter, the ship can keep moving in the direction it needs to, we'll go out and meet them, um, recover them, and then the ship can keep going on its on its merry it way. It sounds like in your case that was too far even for a boat, another boat to go and meet it. Yeah, yeah, it was um, when we rendezvoused with the vessel. It was it was about 130 kilometres offshore. Right. Um, so the uh, the marine pilot vessels that usually only sort of head out five or ten k's from. Mm. Um, to go and collect it with just the geography of the reef. So it was a long way out. Um, it was even further before we got there. Um, so they were just in, in no man's land, really. They just had to wait until they got there. Um, I don't believe it was a doctor on the ship, but they had some sort of medically first trained, first aid trained person on board that was taking care of the patient. The, um, the retrieval or the coordination, search and rescue coordination centre in Canberra were giving them advice over the phone, so medical advice, look, he's had this happen, do you have this type of medication, administer this much. So giving the person on board some uh, telemedicine, I guess is probably the best way to put it, 
in the meantime until we were mm. able to get there with a paramedic. So it's a pretty big deal. It's a big coordinated deal it for is. you to get going and get out there. It is. Yep. There's a lot of moving parts in the background. Yeah, right. So off you went. Off we went. Um, so we we headed out. We, um, we knowing that we were going to be towards the end, edges of our range, we knew that we weren't going to have a lot of time to mess around with um, on the boat. So, so that means uh, the edge of your range, meaning if you stayed for too long, you might not be able to get back. Yeah, if we'd stayed for too long, we weren't going to have the fuel to make it all the way back. So we'd worked on about 20 minutes on the boat. Um, if things started to drag out, uh, the first part of the plan was the priority would be recovering the paramedic in, and the patient who would be in a stretcher. If time started to get compressed, then I was going to remain on the vessel and I'd get... End I'd, up anywhere. I'd end up, yeah. <laughs> I'd be on there for a few more hours until we got in range of the pilot vessel. Go back and out. And, yeah, they'd yeah. either come back out and get me or yep. I'd go back on the on the boat when they, um, when they put the pilot on. Um, that was that was sort of our contingency. And had we encountered any other issues, we all would have just stayed on the vessel and the paramedic would have continued to treat them and mm. the aircraft could have gone back for fuel and come back again. And by that stage, we would have been a bit closer, but the patient would have had some treatment mm. in that time. Okay. So... Um, they were sort of the contingencies that we were working with. Um, when we got on scene, um, I'm missing a couple of bits of memory. Um, so You're actually missing bits of memory? Actually missing, okay, right. so, um, which is a bit of a bizarre scenario because people have rebuilt this for me, but mm. I, don't, I don't have the film roll in my head of wow. certain I pieces of this. I can't imagine what that would be like. It's, it's, it is a bizarre sort of um, sensation. Um, so when we arrived at the vessel, um, the ship, ship's crew had met, positioned the patient right on the bow of this vessel because they'd determined that, that was the, the clearest area. Um, in the past, we'd done winches like this from the bridge wing of the superstructure mm. um, because it's clearer. Um, however, given the time compression that we had, and it being a 300 metre long container ship, having them move the patient 300 metres, then up six or seven storeys of stairs to the top of the superstructure just wasn't going to be an option. So um, I don't... So you got, kind of got um, headed in that direction that it was we, going to come off did. the bow. Yep. yep. Was, can you describe the ship? Uh, so it was a 300 metre long Maersk container ship. Um, sto- uh, containers oh, like packed. Packed, packed to the gunnels. It was fully loaded. It wasn't coming back empty. So it was... Uh, the containers were almost at as high as the level of the bridge. Wow. Um, edge so there was edge. no winching off, the, off them? No, no. you couldn't have got up there? No, you couldn't have gotten up there. The, the only options were the um, sort of the bridge wings, the balconies that stick out the side of the bridge or right at the forward area of this nose. Um, so we continued and continued with the plan to recover the patient from the bow. They'd cleared an area. It's often a cluttered area, but they'd cleared it. We were probably winching to an area that was maybe a square of three by three metres, four by four metres um, at, at the bow there. Um, we set up, the plan had been, and I don't remember the decision making in this, I believe it was because of the time pressures that we were winching myself, the paramedic and our equipment out in one iteration. Is that what you'd normally do? We trained for it. Ideally, if you've got more time, then you wouldn't put everything on the cable all at once. Um, we was by no means at the limit of what the cable could take, but 
you just it's just a more ergonomically it's a bit more awkward to do um, what what sort of weight can go on that cable uh 600 pounds or 272 kilos oh. most of the aircraft weights are in pounds because it's an american american yep. model of helicopter um so yeah 270 kilos is our maximum maximum on the cable and we wouldn't have been at that limit mm. but um so we we began the began the insertion um they were winching us out the aircraft at this point is hovering when we do ship transfers like this the ship's still underway so mm, mm. although we're hovering we're hovering we're actually we're hovering over the same position in the vessel but everyone's moving forward at the same speed as the same speed as the ship so it's a high workload evolution for the pilot as well there's also on most vessels like that a pretty big obstacle on the bow as well isn't there there is there is so the uh is they call it a king post it's basically a big tall post with a crow's nest at the top of it um, some of them have some sort of radar or light lights and stuff mounted on top of that as well so the area that we were winching to was forward of that but not by much probably only a meter or so um, so the aircraft was overhead they've started to winch us down um, as you can attest when the pilots hovering they need something to know whether they're hovering in the same spot or not. Um, if you can have a visual reference, that's the best. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and in that instance, having sight of the ship and knowing that you're moving at the same speed as the ship is critical. And unfortunately, at some point during the insertion, the pilots lost sight of the ship. What What was your height above the deck? Uh, above the deck, the aircraft probably would have been. 80 feet or so. Was um, that height determined by virtue of the mast? Yeah, by yeah, virtue right. and the mast and the um, okay. and the container load yep. on the ship. Yep. Um, so we were winching in his lost lost side of the ship. So his lost reference and understanding of whether he's moving at the same speed as the vessel or not. Um, the the hoist operator in the back um, in that sort of situation is basically providing a word picture, you're drifting back, you're drifting forward, move right or move left and giving the pilot instructions. Um, so the pilot, uh, so the crewman in the back called, you're drifting back. Uh, the pilot put some forward input in thinking that that would be enough to arrest the drift, um, but it wasn't. So the pilot called, uh, the crewman in the back advised the pilot a second time, you're still drifting back, move forward. Um, but as I said, we we're going to a fairly tight area. so. There's not much room mm. for, mm. you know, the, the reactions needed to be pretty quick. And unfortunately, just with the time of noticing, speaking, acting, it wasn't enough to arrest that drift before we did hit that, that large post that you were, you were talking about. So myself and the paramedic, we were sort of dragged across the front of this crow's nest. It was sort of a D shape. Um, There's some scuff marks on, on there that they discovered in the post-accident investigation. Um, but as we were dragged across this, unfortunately, there was a bracket mounted to it and the hoist cable jumped into the bracket, which had a V-shaped angle on it, and it just sheared straight through the cable. Right. So, yeah, in the great big ocean, we found the, the eight mil bracket that the six mil cable jumped into, and it was, um, you know, the cable was stainless steel and strong and rated to 3,000 pounds, but if you put something sharp against it and put enough weight on either end, it'll cut like any bit of string wheel. So um, it sheared the cable and myself and the paramedic fell to the deck. Uh, we fell 
roughly 50 feet, uh, about 14 meters, straight down onto the deck. I was fortunate I clipped a post on the way down which spun me onto my side so I, I sustained damage on my right shoulder, right arm, ribs, hip. Um, I was knocked unconscious. Um, unfortunately the paramedic, he, he landed feet first so his, his injuries were far, far worse than mine. Um, legs, back, spine, arms. Mm. Um, That's heavy. Yeah, yeah it was and all of a sudden we um we became more serious than, than the, the patient, patient. That we, the <laughs> patient three patients now the patient that we'd gone to get um just um just slow it down a bit on your way down as you could you see it unfolding or did it happen too quickly i don't remember yeah that's part yeah. of the bit that you know yep. Yep. yep so i'm missing basically from refueling the aircraft i remember towing the aircraft out of the hangar to start fueling up which we were getting ready well ahead of time. So that would have been at least an hour or two before we were departing. We'd sort of planned to get the aircraft ready, given it was sort of afternoon, get the aircraft ready, go and have a feed, come back, make sure make sure we're good to go. And we'll just sort of slow time, making sure we're all organized because we knew we weren't getting tasked on yeah. another job in between. Mm. Um, so I'm missing from refueling the aircraft. I gain a couple of fuzzy pieces of memory in the minutes after the accident and then it's quite patchy for the next five or six hours which the doctors are pretty sure is from the ketamine that I was administered just to manage the pain um, mm. so yeah it's quite patchy and unfortunately things like that about oh did I could I see it happening or not I, I don't know mm. um, there is one photo from the you know that the captain took from the bridge and the last photo I think it is from the um, before the accident I've got my hand out towards the um, towards the king post right you're fending off yeah but we're not quite at that level yet so I'm not sure whether I've just done that as preemptive mm. or whether stuff it's a still photo so you can't tell the dynamics of it I don't know whether I could already tell that we were heading for it or if I just had my arm out just mm. just in case so yeah. How amazing is the brain that it just doesn't want you to remember that stuff? It's crazy. And the um, talking with doctors and stuff afterwards, they sort of said, "Look, do you want to do you want to have a go at unpicking this?" And I, I sort of said, "Oh, we're not going to gain anything out of it. It may, may it may break me worse, uh, you know." <laughs> if if um, yeah, so we just sort of let sleeping dogs lie as far as as far as that went. We didn't um, yeah, we didn't try to try to recover it. Um, everyone that was around sort of filled me in on what what went on um, mm. and that was enough that was sort of enough information I wasn't left with any nagging questions or anything like that so we yeah let it be wow I don't, I, yeah as I said before I can't imagine it what it would be like yeah it's it's strange especially being so, something so significant mm. and not having mm. not having that recollection there and I, is it a normal Thing to occur during it after a trauma that you have this memory loss the, the doctor seemed to think so he said look it's um, you've suffered a you've suffered a significant trauma there's some amnesia there your brain and body are just trying to protect you from that it's it's just an un, uncontrolled reaction that it's had it's not necessarily to say that whatever was there was needed to be 
mm. hidden from you. So you're not it's, hung up on it? No, no. it's, um, yeah, like I said, I sort of, I know what happened. Mm. I don't, I don't need the, the footage in my head of it. That's, yep. that's fine. I can, I, I can be fine with that. So in the meantime, you're lying on the deck injured and we'll yep. come back to that. Mm-hmm. But was there anything wrong with the helicopter? So they didn't believe so at the time. So that, um, unfortunately for the crew on board, they were, they watched what happened and were helpless to do, mm. to do, do anything about it. Um, I believe they sort of got comms with the ship. They confirmed that we were alive and there was nothing else they could do but start heading back because had they had loitered around any longer, they weren't going to make it back because the fuel situation hadn't changed. So mm. um, they headed back to base. Uh, there was a second aircraft at the base that wasn't part of the search and rescue contract, but it was capable of winching. So that aircraft was um, configured They um, and they started preparing to head out. Once that got away, the other air, our aircraft was had landed and they were putting it in the shed and one of the one of the pilots was walking past the tail and noticed a sort of a puncture in one of the tail rotor blades and then sort of got, called one of the engineers over and said have a look at this and all of a sudden they sort of went hang on let's I think we need to have a bit, bit of a closer look and um, on further inspection that actually found they found some minor dents or creases almost in the main rotor blades. Oh. So what was discovered in the investigation is that the the frayed end of the cable that the hoist operator had stowed when they'd left wasn't the end that connected to the hook that was still connected to us and that once this had, once the accident had happened the cable had recoiled back into the disc of the aircraft and that it had sheared an Again. extra length of cable yeah. so somewhere on the bottom of the ocean there's 20 or 30 feet of cable sitting that yeah that had gone through the rotor and spat out spat out the other side so you know the boys on board are incredibly lucky that that didn't take mm. it down because usually I think you'd probably bet money that if you put some hoist cable through the main rotor disc you're probably not going to be airborne for too much longer so not to mention they've got 130 k's over water to get home that's without right. able to look yeah well that's right um so yeah i don't believe the crewman realized that that had happened i don't think anyone on board had known so it was probably a little bit of ignorance is bliss on the way back because it would have been a pretty nervous flight knowing that you've lost some cable it could have only come through the road ahead and mm-hmm. we've got 130 k's of open ocean to to, cro- to transit <laughs> before we get back to somewhere where we that's can a land long 130 k it is yeah a very nervous hour or so mm. So the other helicopter's dispatched and now you're lying on the deck and yep. the so, paramedic can't help you? No, so the, um, the paramedic was um, far worse than I. So uh, the other he- aircraft came out, they put two paramedics on board, that one. They winched the, paramedic, or the, the paramedics down, they recovered the injured paramedic back to the aircraft and one paramedic stayed with me on board the on board the vessel we were pushing last light and um, so they just elected let's get the injured paramedic back he's critical we'll get him back and Sam's stable enough that, that he can be treated on the way back and they ended up getting me off the boat on a um, on a marine pilot transfer 
vessel when they put the marine pilot onto the ship. I then came back by came back by boat back to what the local hospital. What sort of time hospital. frame was that? Uh, you're testing me there. I'd, it was a few hours at yep. least. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 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 Not days. No. 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 no not. Not days. Mm. Um, yeah. So they they treated me on board. Um, I was by all accounts a bit of a not the simplest of patients to to deal with. The, um, the why is that? Uh, the the paramedics sort of filled me in afterwards that um, I seemed to have a big rush of adrenaline happening um, and that mixed with the pain relief drugs that they'd given me put me into a bit of a I'll call it annoying state of a state of mind um, I was still trying to run the rescue um, so once they got me into a stretcher and they were moving me um, back down the length of the boat I was telling people they were doing it wrong and no you need to do this do it this way no this piece of equipment needs to be managed like this and um, they got to the point where they just ignored me and just let me keep ranting at everyone because, yeah, they were like, there was no changing my mind. But I also wasn't the person to be making those decisions at the time. Um, yeah, and you know I'm a bit of a chatty person at best of times, but I apparently found a fairly new level the whole trip back on the boat. I was stuck in a bit of a loop that I'd forget what had happened. I'd then um, ask what had happened then ask where I was because we we're on a boat we we're on the small boat now but the um the stretcher that I was in wasn't quite wide enough for the walkway in this boat so I was on ever so slighter angle because it just didn't sit all the way flat um so I realized what had happened so this it, is this is your from your memory now or from yeah, what you've been told from from what I've been told but I I remember I remember the images I don't remember the discussion so I remember laying in the stretcher um in on the bottom of the floor of this boat but um yeah so apparently it was what's happened to me you're winching to a container ship you've gotten hurt oh well i'm in a small boat because we needed to get you off i feel like i'm leaning yep that's because the that's because the ship's not or the boat's not wide enough to fit you there if all of that's happened to me why are you being so mean and put me somewhere flat and then i'd nod off again and then i'd go back through the same four questions just in a loop over and over and over until we got back to shore so the the paramedics were a bit relieved once we got got me back there and they handed me over to the hospital staff because um, I then started annoying them rather than I have seen this people on ketamine and if it wasn't so serious it'd be humorous mm -hmm. because of how it makes them behave they don't know that they're injured at all no it was um yeah purple elephants and stuff yeah. like that yeah so um, yeah, they then um, assessed me at um, at the local hospital at Thursday Island, and then I was too serious for them to them to manage. So they then coordinated a RFDS flight down to Townsville initially uh, for further further treatment. I was in Townsville for I think it was three nights, and then was transferred again to Brisbane for. Surgery. I had a couple of clean-outs while I was in the Townsville Base Hospital, but then, then had plates and the like put in, in to deal with my injuries um, by a fantastic surgeon in Brisbane. The paramedic, what's his name? Jamie. Jamie, and where did he go? Uh, so he was flown to Brisbane, Brisbane Hospital. So they chart. There was a 
aeromedical jet that came up and flew him back, direct back to Brisbane. Mm. And uh, do you have any contact with him? No, no, I don't. Yeah, horrendous. Yep. Um, so what? What's your injury situation now? Um, now I'm. I consider myself normal. Um, I've got a bit of a loss of range of motion in my right arm. I get shoulder pain from time to time, and I've got um, I've got nerve damage in two of my fingers that is from the damage to the elbow. The the ulnar nerve that runs sort of on the outside of the elbow was was knocked around a fair bit, so that's left me with some funny sensations in my pinky and re or index finger okay. on the right but, hand. But fine to be able to. Yep, there's there's not much that I don't do anymore that I used to be able to do. I think probably the the trickier or the thing that's probably the most limiting that with the hangovers of the injury is throwing, just because it's a fairly mm. dynamic dynamic movement. So um, yeah, at some point soon, I think my five-year-old's going to be able to throw further than me. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. What about um, your rescue swimmer type duties? Would you be able to do them if you went back to that kind of role? Uh, yep. So I um, so I did return. So that was November two thousand nine. It was August, late August two thousand and ten. I was cleared back to work, and I went back to the to almost a year. Yep, almost yeah. a year that uh, I went back to the went back to full duties as a as a rescue swimmer um, so yeah I'll, I'll be good to go again now and I still actually maintain the currencies for training at my current base so that if a paramedic's not available I can help okay. the, help the right. host operators so swimming's fine yep yep okay because yep. that was your thing wasn't it as you grew up you were always yeah in water yep so yeah I was always club and that sort of stuff yeah it was um, so I was pretty lucky that that side of things didn't suffer um, it certainly took a while for me to get back into doing some of that sort of stuff because I was just a bit hesitant and wanted to make sure that everything had settled yeah. and yeah. settled. But um, yeah, there's not like I said, throwing and throwing is really sort of the one thing that that is still tricky. Can do it, but yeah. I wouldn't go and throw throw a couple of dozen overs at a cricket match or something like that because it would tear me apart. Mm. Are you a member of a surf club still? Uh, yep, yep. I'm at Henley Surf Henley. Club. Okay, yep. that's your dad's club. It is my dad's yep. club. Yep. yep. So no wonder you're there. Yes, it's a pretty yep. good club. It is a pretty good club. Mm. My daughter needs convincing. She is at Grange, uh, which. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, she. Um, we tried to get her down to Henley, but all of her school friends and netball friends are at Grange. So, right. Okay. So some Saturdays I'm down at Grange helping with the helping with the nippers, and yeah, I've just gotten back into some ski paddling at Henley. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, so. After this all happened, you upgraded, is that what you'd call it, to crewman? Yeah, it's um, in Australia that's sort of how the progression would generally work is that the rescue crewman or rescue swimmer role is considered sort of entry level and then at some point once you've got enough experience you'd then be, get trained to operate the hoist and remain in the aircraft. Um, in other parts of the world it's not quite set up like that because there's off, often the paramedic and rescue swimmer roller rolled into one, so because of the medical training that the swimmer has, it sort of stays as its own stream in a lot of places. But um, yeah, so here it was, I was upgraded, um, so to speak. The um, I actually did that as part of my light duties as, okay. I, was, as I was returning to work, yep. uh, because we were able to go and A, it got me back into the aircraft flying a lot sooner, and B... Were you nervous it, about that? No, I was. I was pretty keen to get back to what had been normal um, 
and yeah with the winching side of things we were able to put a small weight bag on the cable so it I was wasn't manipulating large amounts of weight yeah. so it, it, what the right shoulder wasn't actually it wasn't as physically stressful on it as yeah. um, jumping straight back into the into the rescue swimming and it got me back in the aircraft familiar with the aircraft again and feeling like I was still part of it all again which was which was good mm, okay um, part of your uh, training upgrade training to crewmen does that involve crm training it does yeah yep. yep. okay so the, a lot of the classic accidents that have you know that we all know about and have been well recorded there's scenarios which lead the crew down a certain path and this one's a classic yep where by virtue of the people on the boat who have no concept of winching they've decided where you're going to winch from. Um, now that you're way more experienced, how does it, how do you see that working in in a cockpit now? If you're part of a crew, um, you, there are a few procedures that changed as a re, as a result of that. Um, so we we set up um, some more stringent fuel calculations. Although we could have gotten it done had everything gone smoothly in that time, um, fuel considerations is something that must be checked um, and considered pre, pre-task now. Um, the checking of hover references of the winch position prior to conducting a winch is now part of our, our pre-winch circuit. So we pull up overhead, this is the position we intend to winch to. Captain are you ha- or pilot, are you happy with your references here? Yep, this is okay. Or no, I'm not. Actually, we need to turn right 90 degrees and now I can see better. Okay, yep, everyone happy now? okay let's go and do one more circuit and when we come back this will that'll be for real Mm. so that we've established that and we're not finding out that there were issues with the position that's been picked either by ourselves or in Mm. that instance by the people on the ground it during the Mm. during the stage when there's people outside the aircraft yeah um it's a tricky one i think overhead now you would still unfortunately kind of be committed to that position but taking a couple of steps back some better comms with the vessel beforehand through their sat phone or the like. We did have a picture of what the ship looked like, but I don't recall establishing comms with the ship prior to discuss where the preferred winch location was. Um, And I can't speak to whether there were language barriers either because that's something that does sometimes happen with Mm. ships that are travelling internationally. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that is tricky because I'm... I'm just missing that those, yeah. those two hours and the discussion on route about how we work, how we're going to do things. That mm. that's all just mm. missing. So yeah, it's tricky for me to sort of speculate on what and how. But I'm certainly, as a result of that, with my own flying now, if we are heading out on a SAR or a winch task or a search that may turn into a winch. I'm always trying to be proactive with, okay, if we encounter this, what are we doing? If it looks like this when we get there, what are our options? So that we've got, we've discussed three or four options. And then when we get there, it may not match one, what option one and two, but it might be halfway in between. So we've got, we can can adapt the two plans that we've already discussed quickly rather than inventing the wheel while we're overhead and time critical with time pressures. So. That's probably, and they're two really big things that were, you know, against you guys that day. Mm. Do you feel in your role at the moment that you would be confident enough to say, 
uh, excuse me, Captain, I'm not comfortable with this. Yes. Yep. And I think we should not do it or we should come up with a different idea. Yep. Yeah, 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 I think so. And I think that's something that, um, yeah, it's drilled into us. Everyone needs to be, everyone needs to be happy. Um, there was one time, and I honestly can't remember whether it was pre-accident or post-accident. I reckon it was post that um, we were doing some winch training and there was a new um, winch operator being trained and he just didn't sort of have his eye in. He was a little bit... Um, having having a few troubles and um, I was on a platform just out in the middle of the ocean it was just a literally a helipad platform that stood up out of the ocean and I got on the radio and said yeah look guys I'm can the instructor please recover me because you know well, I was getting thrown around a fair bit on that last one I'm I'm not doing that again mm. um, so yeah yeah Great. you know it's one of those things unfortunately you know at the end of the day, coming home alive is more important. Yeah, so. yeah. There's a, a talking about the um, accident reports I mentioned earlier. There's a, a number of them where the co-pilot knew something was wrong, but was too scared to say anything. And um, you know, nowadays that sort of behaviour can't be tolerated. No, you have to be able to challenge that pilot and say, or the other crew, or whatever, or the, yeah. or the or the captain on the boat that you go into and say no. Yeah. And in your case, the, the worst case to end result would have been, we're not doing it. Yeah. You get to the bow and say, that's unsafe. Either he's on the bridge or we're going home. But when you're under commercial pressure and uh, you're running out of fuel, you, can't, you don't have those luxuries. No, and like you said before, you sort of get there and go, well, yep. And it, Certainly since, there's been plenty of winches we've done to an area that tight and small, so it it certainly wasn't outside of the realms of mm. being achievable. Yeah. Um, it was just in that, unfortunately, in that iteration, there were some complexities, a couple of things went wrong, and mm. a few more things went really, 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 really wrong. Really wrong. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a tricky one, and then there's always that pressure of you're wanting, you're there to do that and help this person. Mm. Yeah. So there's those heartstrings like you were talking about before that, yeah. you know, yeah. well, yep, we can, we can do it. Let's do it. This person's, mm. this person needs us. Yeah. So you're, pa- you're paid and trained to do that job, but it's also not your fault that that person's in that predicament. No, that's and right. And if it's, if it's to the point where it's tricky or dangerous to you and your crew, then you now have another dilemma. Exactly. There's a saying that bounces around that, um, their emergency is an our emergency. Mm. We shouldn't cause our emergency. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a very lucky person. Um, the paramedic, not so. No. But you both are alive. Yes. And it could have been way worse. Yeah, it could easily have been a double fatal. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so eventually you uh, got back to work, you were looking forward to it, you became a crewman. Yeah, yeah, the um, returning to work was a bit of a, you know, it was a long and slow process, um, lots of rehab. I was probably lucky that you know, it happened at a time in my life where we weren't married yet, but it was just my wife and I, um, so there wasn't the distractions of kids. So when she went off to work, I didn't have much else to do other than rehab became my new 
work. Um, so I sort of put a fair bit of focus on on that, and it sort of never occurred to me that oh, this may prevent me from getting back to work. So I just go about my rehab, um, and I got back to. Um, I'd had some issues with the the surgeon that I'd been referred to at home. Um, it wasn't the same surgeon that had done the work because the work had been done in Brisbane. Um, and by all accounts, this surgeon is pretty well, well, he is a well-regarded one, but that level of interest because I wasn't, the stuff that had happened in my arm wasn't his own work. It wasn't, Okay. yeah, it wasn't that same level of care I didn't feel. Um, right. And it took a couple of appointments of um, getting some frustrating responses that I, I put a fair bit of pressure on on work covering Queensland and say, look, I need to get back to the, the surgeon that did the work. Uh, the physio and I are making some really good progress here and locally, but I need to, first surgical input, I need to see the guy that did it. Um, and I had a fantastic case manager and she, she said, look, that's not normally done, but leave it with me. And, and she got it working and I, um, I turned up in, um, back in Brisbane in the surgeon's office and he sort of said, oh, I wasn't expecting to see you back. Uh, when I saw your name on the list of appointments today, I said, oh yeah, look, I've had some issues at home with the, um, the referred surgeon, but um, this is where I'm at with the physio. I can do, I can, I've got this much range back. It hasn't seemed to plateau. I think I'm still going to pick up some more. My grip strength's this. I'm able to lift this now. I've started swimming lightly. Um, you know, what, what sort of timeline, based on that, what sort of timeline do you think here? Um, we're talking for being able to return back to work. And he just sort of looked at me straight in the eye and said, do you not remember our conversation? And I said, what conversation? He said, I told you when, after I'd done the work, you're not going back to work. Ever? Ever. He's like, that, the injury, their injury is a showstopper. And I sort of turned white. And I thought, Hang on, how have I missed that? And I don't know whether it was just I was pressing the morphine button too often on the, while I was in the hospital bed, but I did not remember it at all. My wife was, mustn't have been at the hospital at the time when he'd popped in and had this conversation and yeah, I'd, I'd had no idea and then he sort of went, but I also didn't expect you'd be doing what you're doing now and if nothing's plateauing, there's no reason why you won't, um, which, was, which was a pretty big relief. Um, yeah, I was probably lucky that I was just ignorant to what had been what I'd been told, and I just thought, oh yeah, you get hurt, you get back on the horse, and away we go. And um, yeah, so continued work with the fantastic physio down here, and then um, yeah, eventually just sort of slowly, incrementally built it up, and then got back to a point where I was swimming and running and everything like I like I had been pre-accident, and got cleared for cleared for duty. Happy days. Happy days. Until your next flight. <laughs> no, the next, the, ne the next few flights were okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got back to work, and yeah, I was, I was, um, I was pretty happy to be back to what had been normal. I mean, I that accident, in November two thousand. So it was only, it was just shy of two years since I'd been in that new role. Um, so it was, it was pretty tough because I'd felt like I'd finally started to settle in, and you know, I'd finished well. I hadn't, but the new guy mistakes weren't happening all that often anymore and I was feeling like I was starting to get my head around it. So having this big break had sort of, I wanted to get back and just settle into what had been 
what was you lose a bit before. of confidence and currency and all that sort of stuff yeah you yeah. start to doubt yourself yeah so i wanted to just get back in and just just focus on getting back into that swing and back to where i had been um the guys that i was working with were super supportive they were um really really good the um and so was everyone at work really and um yeah i spent the next next couple of years still doing the rco or rescue crewman role um there was a a change at some point where i started because i'd had that upgrade i started filling both roles um so depending on who was on base at the time i'd some weeks i'd be the winch operator and the other fella on roster would be the rescue crewman or if there was only another winch operator on base at the time then i'd be the rescue crewman so i started to um work at both both ends of the cable and then um yeah a couple of years down the track we had another one well not quite the same but so back up into far north queensland yep so back up into far north queensland we were doing some um we we're doing some training and uh for a, a new pilot to the company uh, not a new pilot to aircraft and um we'd planned to do some night circuits and night approaches um, into a confined area amongst the trees and so during the day we'd flown over to the training area which is actually an old world war ii strip uh, which was quite cool very overgrown but um we put a light out that and turned that on on the batteries that we'd planned to come back to once it was dark and went back home had an early dinner came back out after dark and headed back out over to the training area and um yeah, so we were conducting approach, sort of identified, yep, there's our light that we put out. And the pilot, there was a pilot under training and the instructor pilot on board. And I was in the back to, we're going to simulate a winch. We weren't going to do any winching, but we were going to terminate our approach at sort of treetop height as if we were going to do a winch. Okay. And, um, I'd be making the standard calls that a crewman would. Um, for anyone that's not aware, there's, there's times during an approach particularly at the tail end where because of the instrument panels and the like on a larger helicopter, the pilot doesn't have sight of what the, the exact point that we're going to. So they may be looking at a, a tree that's beyond the person that we're going to winch because oh. the winch is eight or so feet behind where they're sitting and they can't see through the belly of the helicopter. So the crewman in the back will at some point in the approach towards the end or the pilot will call losing sight and the crewman will start to explain a word picture yep we've got a hundred to run your line is good your speed is good reduce your height or whatever the disc call may need to be or move right or move left so i was there to provide that as if we were going to be doing a winch but we were just going to terminate in a hover and then go around and just practice that a few times for this new pilot um so i was in the back i was on a harness that was connected to we call it a wander lead um, that connects to the roof to stop me from falling out but I wasn't in a seat belt um, we were the pilot or the two pilots were running through their approach the approach was very procedural so at certain distances they need to be at certain heights and certain speeds so one pilot's flying the other pilot is reading out these gates so to speak to make sure that they're hitting their approach they're not too high too high and slow or low and fast um, but I sort of got the door back and open at about probably about a kilometre or so, like a bit more than a kilometre before we got to the target 
um, and just sort of started to stick my head out and have a look at, oh yeah, that's where we're going. Um, often, at least for myself, I'll stick my head out and just get into that rhythm of what I'm, what I'm going to be saying so that when they ask for those calls, I'm, they're tuning into something that's already happening rather than me having to start from, start from scratch. So I sort of had my head out and was watching what was going and popping my head in and out. Um, and we, uh, we sort of started to get a little bit closer to where I was expecting that they may have wanted some input from me and um, I could still see the still see the light that was the target that we were going to but the way the pilot had set up his lights on the belly of the aircraft that turn and pivot um, from where I was sitting I was getting quite a bit of glare on the from the tube the skid tube um, just just reflection just a bright spot so I could see where we were going to but in front of me really close was glared out but we still probably had nearly a kilometer to go so that wasn't a wasn't a big issue yet um, and then we sort of passed through about 400 feet. I thought oh, I'll probably be able to get the ground visual. Now at this point, it's industry standard that we use night vision goggles, but at that time they hadn't been rolled out uh, to where we were operating. Uh, so we were all, everything was on searchlights and that, that were mounted on the belly of the aircraft. Um, so I've sort of stuck my head outside the cabin and I put my hand up to block the bright spot that was um, glaring out my vision and something just didn't feel right. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I sort of wondered whether I was feeling a bit dizzy and um, sort of did a couple of long blinks and, and looked back out again. And as I was putting my, um, as I was putting my head out, the, the, pilot started the instructor pilot started calling airspeed, airspeed. Um, and I, as he was doing that, I sort of put my head out and blocked the glare again. And as you know, when you're driving in a car, stuff's in front and you're moving forward, stuff's in front of you. It starts in front of you and it goes past you to behind you. Um, and as I've looked down, I've realized why things didn't quite feel right. And the ground is moving instead of from forward to back, it's moving from back to forward and to the left. So you're going backwards. We're going backwards and turning. And as as that sort of as I've recognised what I've see, seen, the pilot, um, the pilot instructor has just started calling, "Go around, go around, go around," um, which would would mean that the pilot, the pilot at the controls would go go forward, get some airspeed, and abort the approach, and um, get some get some airspeed and get the aircraft back stable again. Um, as I was looking back. Outside, it was obvious that we had a significant rate of descent on, so I started making the um, any of our emergency calls are repeated by three. So um, climb, 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 climb. We're approaching the trees fast, climb, climb, climb. Um, because of the event and profile that the aircraft was in, the pilot wasn't able to go around. We just didn't have the altitude to get some forward airspeed again to fly away from the unstable aircraft state we're in. Um, so the instructor pilot just started making the brace, brace, brace call because we were going down. Uh, we weren't, we weren't flying away from, from the issue, um, and we came crashing down through sort of 60, 80, 100 foot gum trees. Um, I was in the open door and just managed to sort of brace, get my bum onto the floor and brace myself against the open door. So I was pushing myself inwards and not falling 
outwards we were sort of the way the aircraft was heading in we were right wing low so that was the side I was on so my open door was copying the brunt of the trees and um, branches that that we were crashing through um, we then hit the ground fairly hard um, but because we were amongst the trees and everything was still running the the main rotor was just smashing into gum tree trunks and to violent violent um, but I had never occurred to me because I've not crashed before but um, because I wasn't strapped in in a seat belt I wasn't getting the violent movement of the airframe so the I could feel the floor shaking and shuddering, but it wasn't going through me. And I sort of, I looked forward and the pilots were being thrown eight to 10 inches forward and back violently with the shuddering of the aircraft as the rotor, as the rotor was hitting the trees. Um, so I, I scrambled forward and shut down one of the two engines, um, which started to, uh, then one of the other pilots saw what I was doing and he beat me to, beat me to shutting down the second engine, which started to, um, and then got the rotor brake on and started to slow down the, the speed of the rotor and that shuddering, shuddering sort of started to stop. But yeah, the two pilots were being thrown violently like ragdolls. I honestly wasn't actually sure if they were conscious or not because they, they just looked floppy. Really? Yeah. Um, and then, um, and you know... And because of that, they couldn't take any action? No, it was, it was sort of just keeping them... Yeah, they were just getting thrown so there wasn't much deliberate movement they were able to do because of just that force that was going through them because they were strapped in nice and securely. Great insight Which, from you to be able to think well, at that time I need to shut these engines down. Yeah, I, I don't remember actually thinking too hard about it. It was just, oh, we've, we've stopped, we've stopped, but they have, the blades haven't, or the rotor hasn't, oh, let's get that happening. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, we got out and checked ourselves and everyone was okay and um, I think we were all probably in a fair bit of shock, but mm. physically we were okay. No, no one was broken or, or anything like that. Um, you know, you look at the, we look, had a look at the trees and the damage that we'd done. And you know, as, as you've seen in your flying career, not many things beat a tree. Um, you know, the, rotor, the, rotor had, the rotor blades had just sort of splintered and come apart on themselves. And, yeah, there were a couple of big chops in these gum trees, but they'll keep standing for a long time still. Um, mm. Shows you how fragile an aircraft is, doesn't it? It does. Um, so, yeah, and then we um, phoned back to uh, one of the other crewmen at the base, let him know, look, we've gone in. He didn't believe me at first. Mm, uh, not Sam again. No. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, it... Um, you know, not disbelief. He's like, you're, you're joking. You're not, no, mate, we're, we're down. We're in the trees. You guys are going to need to come and get us. Um, so we, they got the, um, the other aircraft at the base and got that ready and organised. And we just sort of sat at the aircraft because we were still pretty close to a kilometre from where, where we needed to be for the um, landing area. Um, so they, they landed at the light that we'd put out and then hiked their way through the through the bush to to get to us and then because um, we didn't we sort of had small handheld torches but not not enough to go traipsing traipsing through the bush and we weren't exactly sure of which way we were oriented reference the um, landing area so they came to us and then then we all all headed back um, 
were you injured? No, I wasn't. I had the tiniest of little scratches on me that the sort of scratch that you oh, I wonder where that came from sort of thing. And um, and that was that was it. We um, we all got got on board the um, the second aircraft. We were flying over the hospital for all the standard tests and um, like after any sort of accident. And then um, yeah, we went flew back to base and probably stayed in shock for at least until I went to bed. <laughs> and not <laughs> at least. A, bit, a bit a bit of, a bit of disbelief and. Um, like people yeah. listening would be thinking, oh, how is it possible that he could keep doing this for a living? Yeah. Just enjoy it. It's, um, and I guess, you know, I wasn't really going to let, um, I wasn't going to let it, I'd, I'd not let it beat, and beat, beat an injury beat me once before, so I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to let another one beat me again, mm. I guess. Um, it's funny you say that the um the following day i oh maybe it was a day or two after in the in the f- couple of days following the um the accident i called the uh eap like the employee assistance program because i just thought oh i should probably talk to someone who, i don't know what what's um you know the last time yeah there were broken bones and that was all simple but i just sort of thought oh, i should probably check in and have a chat and um, I probably got the most biased counsellor or whatever type whatever title this guy had I could have possibly gotten Um, this guy couldn't steer me away from a career in helicopters faster he worked in the North Sea at some point it had been on board when one of the aircraft had had a engine failure they continued with one engine fine and landed safely he's like nope Helicopters are dangerous. You shouldn't be doing it. Go and find a new career. Like just, just absolutely. You know, I basically got a yeah. I felt like a teenager getting, Thanks, a, get, getting a lecture from a yeah. from a very grumpy dad about something that I'd done. He just was yeah. No, no. You know, think about this. You know, give it twelve months. Go and find something else to study, and you'll be in your new career in no time. Get away from this. And I was, oh, I didn't. I hung that up and then didn't call the EAP back again because it's like I was just. That's not quite what I was. After I probably just wanted to have a chat and make sure that you know is there anything I actually was wondering whether there was anything I should be doing mm. because I was feeling quite normal, which seemed strange um, mm. and I thought, oh you know is there anything I should do post an event like that that you know just to make sure I was all right but um yeah no I got a lecture about not working in helicopters mm. and um, which was quite a yeah. It was any, yeah, not completely out of left field and not what I was expecting. Um, but I think traumatic things, uh, we, we kind of think they don't affect us. But as one really good doctor explained to me once, it's cumulative. And yeah. you know, one day you could find that your bucket's full. Yes. And uh, you know, in your current role, there's stuff that you see that you know, day-to-day people shouldn't see. Yeah, it's... Um yeah, that bucket metaphor is a very, very good one. Um, and, you know, it. I didn't realise at the time, but it, this one did, the second one did end up affecting me. Um, it probably took about 12 months before I realised it had. Um, but like you said, it's cumulative. And I sort of went to the psychologist and said, oh, you know, 
this is I don't, I don't think I'm right there's some stuff going on I'm sort of I was quite angry a lot um, or tense I, I was going to the dentist and you know oh, teeth are really so I'm like yeah you're grinding and clenching like nobody's business um, and I sort of went to the psychologist and he said oh yeah look you've got I said oh look there was nothing nothing bothered me with the first one why is this one I didn't even get hurt is it just because I remember this one and he's like well no well it, that may be a little bit to do with it but he said you know you've had two accidents and you know you were fine after the first one and physically you were fine after this one but somewhere in your deep down dinosaur brain essentially you know in your um, involuntary stuff you've gone and conditioned yourself to unexpected aircraft movement means might be about to die and mm. um, yeah so that took a bit of um, it took me a bit of deconditioning or deconditioning desensitizing to um, go through a few things to get me feeling that comfortable in the aircraft because it just sort of crept on and day to day I hadn't noticed a change it wasn't sort of until I zoomed out a bit and went hang on I'm not much like what I was 12 months ago you know yeah week to week there was you know barely noticeable changes but zooming out a bit further it was yeah it definitely had a had a much bigger impact than the broken bones had that's interesting isn't it yeah yeah it is um and it's funny I don't at least so far the the stuff we see day to day so far seem I seem all right at compartmentalizing and that but um yeah that that one sort of that second one knocked me around a fair bit mm. broken bones was much simpler mm. yeah well that's right the brain as we said before is very complicated mm. and uh yeah you don't know why you're angry or why you're no. grinding your teeth you don't kind of notice it but your family might yes yep yeah um, my wife certainly noticed some uh some big changes did she comment yeah 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 she did i was i was quite angry all the time um i think because i was feeling angry i was and not only um i was spoiling for arguments a bit um mm -hmm. yeah mate sort of noticed that i was i was tenser and snap i'd snap at things sooner my fuse had gotten gotten shorter with a lot of things um, but um, did anyone yeah. label it PTSD not initially yeah um, I, I did actually try and the first psychologist I went to was very um, good but not very competent but I worked out as well that particularly with psychological stuff. I mean, it's the same as other medical stuff. If you don't find a doctor that you click with, then your results are only gonna be so good. You know, yeah. if you go to a GP that you don't really get along with, then you're not gonna get the same level of results. And um, the first psychologist I went to was very, I said, you know, what is going on? Like, is this PTSD? And his response was sort of, well, what is PTSD? We don't need to label anything. We just need to know when you've. We just need to get you back to being you. And I'm like, well, I'm not actually sure I can describe what me was before. And yeah. you know, I've, tell me what's happening, what the process is to get there. And he just, that just wasn't how he, 
how he operated. Um, whereas the the um, the second one I found was um, no, he, I had I think I had a session with him myself. He explained a lot of anatomy stuff to me and what was what was going on, and then pretty sure it was the second session he said your wife needs to come to you and sort of so the second session he said okay and sort of explained look this is what I think is going on with Sam this is where I think we're going to head and try and improve what's going on and this is why he's gonna you know this is why you've been seeing what you've been seeing and which was fantastic yeah, because sounds like great yeah 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 the the level of understanding and that you know, that big question mark of what is going on with me was mm. sort of all of a sudden gone. It's like, okay, cool. We've now got a process. We've got a guy that's got a plan. And now there's something to focus on and, fi- and following that plan and, and working through it. So, um, yeah, I'm so glad I went hunting around for, for someone else because, it, yeah, I wouldn't have gotten the results that had I just persisted with yeah. the... And had I, or alternatively gone, oh, I've had one bad experience, no, psychologist, psychologist can't fix it, and just gone back to being me, it probably wouldn't have ended up all that well. So, um, yeah, I was very Pretty fortunate. Pretty extraordinary outcome. It was, yeah. I think the paying attention to what your family says is important. Yeah. Um, and I, I flew EMS for nearly 20 years. And it wasn't until my wife said to me, what you're doing is not bringing out the best in you. And it, I, you know, it clicked and I thought, yeah, you're right, I'm, I'm like you were. Um, and the sleep was difficult because it's shift work and yep. you know, long-term shift work is you know, it's really bad for you. Yeah. But you just don't know it is because that's what your job is. Yeah, that's right. And it's taken me years to get over that sleep issue um, but even now when a siren goes off I kind of jolt to attention as if we're going somewhere yeah yep um, so yeah. yeah you go into a shop or a business that's got the same phone as what the the tasking line is at wherever you've worked and you sort of you jump and finish yeah and yeah, yeah. the same ringtone as the aircraft mobile and yeah and that adrenaline kicks in and you're on yep and um, maybe that will never go away I yeah don't know. Yeah, let me know because I haven't been around as long as you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, I hope that you are. Yeah, well, yeah, I hope to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you've definitely got a lot to offer, especially having experienced those things. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I think there's certainly times where I've got different, a different perspective to different. others. And, you know, and there's probably times where that puts me thinking too conservatively about certain things. Um, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that what the, the role that you're in, the res- in, the, in the rescue role with aircraft, it is dangerous. It is. And to think conservatively, you're going to have a long career. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, it's not something to be ashamed of. Oh, and no, that's certainly not the case. But there's certainly times where you go, oh, yeah, actually, no, that is, that probably wasn't, we could have done a, and hypothetically, you know, we could have done this or that, and that still would have been an acceptable level of risk to accept, rather than you know, accept no risk. So, there's, a, I think there also needs to be that acknowledgement that a lot of what we do can't be done with 
zero risk. No, no, so, well, getting out of bed's risky. No, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's right. So Staying in bed's risky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, well, that's, um, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I guess. It's mm. just, you know, to me, it's just sort of... What happened? It's just, just, just... Yeah. It's, yeah, just how, it's just how it is. But people listening, especially people that are close to you, they might discover things that they didn't know and it might explain things. Yeah. But also people that aren't in the aviation industry will be fascinated. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you sort of forget that there's, you know, it's it's such a niche industry and, you know, people have no idea mm. what it is we do. It's sort of this enigma that when people see us fly over and wonder what's going on and then... Yeah, never know. Never actually see behind the curtain, and probably never, ever, ever get thanked for it. Yeah, but we're not there to be thanked, though. No. If you're the per- yeah, not many. You probably haven't gotten into it for the right reasons. If you're waiting for someone to come and say thank you. Hmm. But um. Yeah. Good story. Thanks for sharing it. Oh, that's all right. No. It took no. us a while. It did, it did. It took us a while to get there, and yeah, and you know, like I. I certainly wasn't, um, while I was working through it all, I barely told anyone. Um, I'm an open book now, and if anyone's got any questions or feels like anything's sort of not sitting right with them, I'm happy to have a chat and, you know, this is how I was feeling with this or anything like that. But, um, yeah, at the time, it was just more so a case of, you know, I'd be talking about it with a psychologist a couple of times a week and maybe a psychiatrist once a fortnight and I was just sick of talking about it you know mm. you know like mm. I was happy to talk about it as part of the plan but giving every person I saw an update on how I was going it you know it's a long-winded thing you know, oh how's your broken leg going oh yeah good I get out of my cast in six weeks end of story oh how's your psychological treatment going oh we're talking about this this week and mm. you know it's it's a long story and can't be explained quickly and briefly and when you're spending a few hours a week talking about it already rehashing stuff over and over and each time you see someone was getting yeah it wasn't something that I just wanted to be constantly talking about I wanted to be able to focus on it when I was there with the specialists and then not dwell on it when Mm. I was not so um yeah I probably should have told a few more people than what I did, but um, we well, just yeah. did. Well, yeah, I just, I just, <laughs> I just did. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's a funny one, and like we said, the brain's a Amazing. interesting thing. Mm, yeah. Is there anything that you want to add? Um, oh, probably. I don't know. If you, is there any other questions you've got? I'm sort of not one for. Yeah. Not one that sort of telegraphed much, too much, really. So I've not, yeah, I don't really feel like I've got a, a message to share. If something's not right, go and see someone and don't be ashamed. Yeah. But, um, but also in the workplace, you, you might have a staff member that's not quite right, and it's, you know, important to go and ask them. It is. Be okay. Yeah, it is. It's not hard to do, rather than just going these grumpy old bastard. Yeah. And that's. You know, that's important in a, in a close community like that. It is. Community. I actually literally, I did a, I was on a mental health first aid course yesterday and today because work's starting to put a bigger focus on it. So, 
um, yeah, and that's a really good point. And you know, sometimes as co-workers, we notice stuff that others don't. You know, I, yeah. I mean, I was probably the opposite. I was holding it together at work, but then dropping my bundle outside. But other people do it the other way and hold it together at home and aren't all that, that good to be around mm. at work but their family has no idea that mm. that change is happening so if you notice a change in someone particular you know everyone has their own has a bad day but you know if you notice a trend then yeah. ask someone if yeah how, how are things going is everything mm. all right yeah yeah and it's it's important it is really important and especially in our line of work you know the like you said the things we see there's a lot of stuff that you know no one's no one's been in this industry that isn't carrying around memories of good good tasks or bad tasks you know and everyone's got that you know there's certain types of jobs that will stick with them more or less you know and you go through stages where you remember the the bad ones sort of seem to be filling your memory for a bit and then you then it flips around the other way and the good outcomes mm. flip a bit it's a lot of ups and downs so yeah it's tricky well it looks like you're doing it well oh thanks yeah. so mm. far so good <laughs> yeah and I'm really glad that you came here and then we got to have a chat yeah I'm sorry it took so long but yeah definitely no, it's definitely worth the wait yeah mm. it was good mm. thank you no worries thank you see you later catch you up. <laughs>